Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Monica Frenden. Monica noticed the stark lack of resources for community cats in rural Illinois and decided to do something about it. In 2008, Monica founded a trap-new-to-return organization that sterilized thousands of cats. To further reduce euthanasia, she pioneered one of the nation's first and largest barn cat programs. In 2012, Monica moved to Texas and joined Austin Pets Alive, where she serves as cat program manager. Since 2012, Monica has led her team to a 40% growth in cat adoptions, helped Austin achieve a citywide 98% live release rate for cats, and oversees the adoption and care of nearly 4,000 cats each year. Her passion for improving the country's sheltering systems for cats and love of sassy cats helps save even the most challenging of felines. Monica, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Stacey. I'm happy to be here. So for folks listening, this is going to be a super episode, which means we're going to have a part one and part two. So just keep that in mind. Monica and I are planning on chatting for about 40 minutes total. So keep a lookout for the part two episode on the Committee Cats podcast that will be coming out the next day that we launch podcast. So Monica, I'm wondering if you might be able to share with us how you got started. I understand you got started in Illinois, but what got you really involved with cats in the first place? You know, I was always the kid who was bringing home wayward animals, but I got into cats and working with them professionally, kind of organically, like I think a lot of us do. We had purchased a house in rural Illinois and it came with a colony of feral cats. And I think a lot of people find themselves in the situation where you come across community cats and you try to get help for them. You try to get them spayed, neutered, uh, you try and find homes for them, and you're kind of met with a lot of roadblocks where there's not a great deal of resources available. Uh, and in rural Illinois, certainly there was not a great deal of resources available for community cats. I was met with private veterinarians who, of course, want to charge private practice rates for spay and neuter on outdoor cats and nowhere to rehome them. So basically, we started just trying to figure out, well, what do I have to do? Because I'm not going to let these cats and kittens keep breeding in my backyard. And we started taking them into downtown Chicago for spay-neuter. That was the closest resource we had to high-volume spay-neuter or a clinic that specialized in feral cats. And that was about a 110-mile journey for us. So we started taking our own barn cats. And by that time, there were like 20. I started taking a few of them a week. And then my neighbors found out what I was doing and said, hey, would you mind taking a couple of ours since you're going anyway? And then you can kind of see where this is headed. <laughs> <laughs> the, the community found out I was going. I started adding more and more cats to my transports every week. I had gotten all mine done, but the demand was so overwhelming. So many people coming out of the woodwork that have been looking for a resource like this who wanted to do the right thing and get their, their barn cats or their community cats spayed and neutered, but didn't have any resources. So we started going into Chicago about once a week with 10 cats, and then it turned into where we ended up were once a week with about 50 cats and, and more. And that turned into a full-fledged shelter and rescue in Illinois 
rehoming as well as doing really robust trap neuter return work. So you went from the back of your car to the the rental van. Yes, and the back of my car will never be the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's still a rescue that's going strong in rural Illinois now, still serving a really underprivileged area for community cats and outdoor cats and now doing a lot of rehoming as well. The organization that I was involved with has been doing barn cat adoptions. We started our program in the late 90s, and so it's great. I mean, we obviously do barn relocations as a last resort. Obviously, we want spay and neuter in the community as much as possible. But if you have to do a relocation, it is nice to have the barn cat program option out there. It is. And so we got involved with barn cat programs in Illinois because at the time, if a cat was impounded at the city of Chicago's animal care and control, there was no live release method available to those cats. Once the feral was impounded, it did not have the option to go back to its outdoor habitat. And so for those cats, this was their only live path out of a shelter. So we started taking lots of those cats and placing them in our rural neighborhood and helping out inner city Chicago cats. And ironically, I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way, but you really started out with a targeted program by targeting your own backyard first and then spreading out from there, which is really the process that I advocate as being the best when you're starting a community cat program you know, in, a, in an area where there has been no work done. Right, right. And there was you know, just so many cats that we had come across that had been not, not been served at all forever really. And I think what was most surprising to me, though, was even in this very small rural community, basically in the middle of nowhere in Illinois, the community was so embracing of it and so in need of it. Um, A lot of times we hear kind of the opposite, that a community doesn't care about cats or that they're not going to go out and do the extra work for the cats. These are kind of our forgotten animals. And what we found was the demand for it was so far in excess of what we could provide with people that were willing to bring their cats to us, pay to have them spayed and neutered and returned, that, man, they keep us busy. So as starting an organization, you've talked a little bit about the challenges of the fact that the feral cats couldn't go back to where they came from. Were there other obstacles that you faced in those early days? Oh, sure. You know, funding is always a giant obstacle. How are you going to pay for all this? Especially as you started out, we started out just grassroots, you know, my husband and I, and then recruited some volunteers, but then it becomes a full-time job, which it did for us. And then how do you fund that? How do you pay for someone to drive all these cats to Chicago? Who pays for all the community cats that no one is offering to pay for their spay-neuter even at the low-cost clinic? So it's a lot of grant funding, getting involved and figuring out how to write grants on your own, how to engage the community, how to get publicity, how to approach city council. We had to go through all that, and it's just kind of a learning curve. And at that time, I was looking towards who was setting trends in the country for life-saving for cats, and I was drawn to Austin Pets Alive even way back then as they were getting started here in Austin in 2008, and they were kind of a guiding light for me in terms of how they're approaching city council, how they're making broad, sweeping changes for cats. I started coming down to Austin for the annual conference that that they put on. And that's actually how I became affiliated with Austin Pets Alive, coming down for conferences every year and learning from them and implementing the Austin Pets Alive life-saving principles and protocols back in Illinois. So knowing what you know now and going back to the beginning for starting that organization, what do you wish that you knew then that you didn't? I wish I knew a lot of medical that I know now that I didn't then. What's treatable, what's not, how to treat on a shoestring budget. You know, that was something we had to learn the hard way, too. 
you don't, especially in the early days, you just don't have all the funding that you need to do incredible work for every single cat. Learning all the medical has been, it's really practical for people who are on a shoestring budget just starting out or maybe who are not even affiliated with the rescue. You're getting into FIV and fetal leukemia and how do you treat various skin diseases, especially with feral cats, it can be really challenging. I've learned a lot about how to treat feral or fractious cats who have severe medical now, and that would have been useful years ago. But, you know, it, it's if you take it day by day and if you're willing to try, even if you fail, you just got to kind of stick to it. And even if you don't have a grant writer, you know, anyone can try writing a grant and you'll get better at it. But engaging the community was something that was critical at the beginning. And I think it still is. And I think when I look at small grassroots rescues now, I think that's one thing that I always tell them to push for is really getting the community in place and getting community support. Because one thing I learned the hard way is that you cannot do this all on your own. And the more support you have from the community, the more effective you're going to be. And that that's a testament towards targeted, too, because I think if you're a small organization, if your community is the state of Texas, that's going to be really hard to generate a lot of energy and motivation and passion than if you're just focusing on one town or one area. And then you can really sort of rally the local troops where they feed upon the energy of others. Yeah, of course. You, you're going to, if you're too broad in your scope, you're just going to dilute your mission and dilute your brand and people won't know who you really are and you're not going to get the kind of support. So definitely start small, start targeted build a name for yourself, build success that you can build grant funding on and community support for, and then worry about branching out. Kitten season is upon us, and do we have a webinar for you? Listen and chat with Hannah Shaw, the kitten lady, on Saturday, June 17th at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and learn everything you need to know about saving kittens' lives. She'll be talking all about kittens and bottle babies, too. This webinar will cover the ins and outs of kittens, including an overview of issues impacting cats and kittens, how to set up your home, manage your time, and make fostering fun, how to properly feed, clean, and provide basic medical care to a kitten, how to get involved in your local community. To sign up, go to www.communitycatspodcast.com and click on the link on the homepage to sign up. We'll see you then. Are you new to the Community Cats Podcast? Don't know what to listen to first? Feel free to check out the listening module tab where we have grouped shows together by topic so you can listen to a bunch of shows around the same topic. Just click on the listening module tab at www.communitycatspodcast.com and enjoy learning about community cats. So one thing I'll mention here for our listeners is that the Community Cats Podcast does offer Community Cats grants, and it's a mentoring program to work with small organizations to help them create one new fundraising idea that they have never done before. And they can raise up to $1,000 if they want to raise more money than that. That's great. But the grant will match up to $1,000 to support spay-neuter efforts for your organization. So there is a mentoring program out there to help small groups we look for organizations with revenues of $100,000 or less to be able to help them think about new fundraising initiatives and help them with a grant writing process because there is a, a short application and there's a follow-up process and final report process. So you're able to sort of practice on what many of the grant 
funders are looking for. Also, Julie Jacobson did a Grants 101 webinar, which is available on the Community Cats podcast website. So there are a couple of resources there for folks that are just starting out. And you really do kind of have to, I'd say, hold your nose and jump into the deep end and just start writing away. I don't know, Monica, if you have other advice for people just starting out on that first grant and what thoughts should go through their, their minds. You know, just start writing them. If the worst that's going to happen is they're going to tell you no, and God knows I've been told no repeatedly, but typically a grant funder, when they tell you no, will tell you why. And so use that as a learning experience. But there's some foundations where you can just keep applying over and over and over and over again. And so sometimes the squeaky wheels that get is what gets the grease and there's no harm in asking. So if you don't ask, you're never going to get any money. So again, just start doing just start doing. And if you want to take some webinars, like Stacy said on grant writing 101, that's, I mean, that's a question I get continually is where do we get funding for doing this good work? Just start writing the grants, just start Googling who is a grant foundation you can apply to make sure you meet their criteria. So go over your submission with a fine tooth comb, make sure you have included every single thing they're looking for and every detail has been crossed. And just make sure you're telling people about the good work you're doing. Tell the Grant Foundation what good work you're doing. You've got to be your own biggest advocate. That's agreed. And in the Grants 101, there is a listing of organizations that will fund spay-neuter efforts. So, it, And that listing is kept pretty much up to date. So that makes it really helpful. Later on, we're going to talk specifically about the, the programs at Austin Pets Alive. But at this point in time, the first program I'd like to touch upon is the program that you have for feline leukemia positive cats. Can you tell me a little bit about the history around that and how you operate it? Yeah, I would love to. So this is a program that is easily the the favorite program here at Austin Pets Alive. And we affectionately refer to these cats as felvies for F-E-L-V. So when I talk about felvies, that's what that is. This program also came about organically when we started in 2008 like many rescuers, we had an oops felby. So we didn't mean to pull this cat who was leukemia positive, but here he was leukemia positive, And now what? And here in Austin, the euthanasia, euthanasia of a healthy cat, whether it's feline leukemia positive or not, is not ever on the table for us. So in 2008, it kind of came to, well, we've got this empty room here. Let's just put him in it and put him up for adoption and see what happens. And then he got adopted. And so we were kind of like, well, can we do that again? Can we repeat this? And so it happened organically. And so one of the things that we did here in Austin was look at what animals were on the euthanasia list consistently at animal control. And we found that it's cats with the same medical problems or the same behavior problems over and over again. So ringworm cats, neonatal kittens, feral cats, major medical, including cats with feline leukemia, consistently, and really at almost every animal control around the country, those are what's at risk. So what we did was create little niche programs to address each one of those populations of highly at-risk cats in the city shelters. And the feline leukemia program was born out of that. And it has grown really substantially since 2008. Where we're at with it now is something I'm super proud of. That's fantastic. In in Massachusetts, we call them Felukes. Nice. <laughs> we have the Feluke Fan Club. <laughs> so the, at the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society, our sponsor cat program is 100% devoted to supporting our feline leukemia positive adoption program. 
That's wonderful. So we should have a tug of war of the Felvies versus the, the Felix. Yeah. yeah, they're amazing <laughs> cats. I joke that there's something in the virus that makes them the most amazing cats in the world. Yeah, they're tremendous. And so many people will say, well, how do you adopt them out? How do you convince people to adopt them. And I would love to hear your experiences on that. From my side, it's the personality. Many of the people who bond with the feline leukemia positive cats say it's all about personality. That's the kind of cat that I want. Anything can happen at any time for a cat, for a human, you know, at any point, you never know. And it's, I want the cat with the personality. So it's that kind of mindset that I think is so tremendous. How do you convince someone to adopt a feline leukemia positive cat? Yeah. You know, one of the things we learned early on was that we let the public decide what they want instead of assuming what they want. You know, so many people will tell you, well, the Felix will never be adopted. So there's no point in keeping them around. We decided long ago to take that mentality off the table and say, well, here these animals are. Do you want to adopt them? And we found that they do. So we let people kind of make their own decision. But we do offer a lot to promote these cats for adoptions and to make it easy for people to take them home. So our leukemia cats here at Austin Pets Alive never have any adoption fee. We cover any illness related to feline leukemia for the life of the cat at no charge. And we provide yeah, and we provide end-of-life services when it's time. So that alleviates the fear that you're taking home a major medical expense when you adopt one of these cats. The other things that we kind of look for, there's a lot of people who want to adopt a cat but might not be able to make a 20-year commitment. So for those kind of people, can you make a two- or three-year commitment? And a lot of the time, the answer is yes. Maybe they're college students. Maybe they're military families. They're moving around quite a bit. Maybe they just don't know where they're going to be in 20 years. So a lot of the times these cats are very adoptable for people who don't necessarily have the budget for major medical. Should that come along? Or maybe they're in college, they're young, they don't know where they're going to be in 20 years, but they'd like a cat now. And so it works out really well. And we advocate to those people to look at leukemia cats. But we also have a motto in all of our cat adoption centers here to think Felby first. So when an adopter comes into an adoption center here and they tell us that they don't have any other cats and they're looking for an indoor-only cat and they kind of meet all of our target criteria, the first thing we'll do is tell them, I have got some cats for you to look at. Come on over to our adoption center for feeling leukemia cats and check these guys out. They're the greatest cats in the world. And we'll do some education from there. But you are right that it comes from people falling in love with a specific cat. And once they're in love with a specific cat, it doesn't matter what's wrong with it, or they're willing to make concessions for a cat that has tugged on their heartstrings. And so our, our Feline Leukemia Adoption Center here at Austin Pets Alive is open to the public every day of the year. People can walk in and interact with those cats and sit with them just like any other cat. And so a lot of what we do is just about education on the virus and encouraging people to come in and visit with these cats and see how awesome they are and see the quality of life that they're leading. Because the first thing we're often told with feline leukemia cats is that these cats are suffering. They need to be euthanized, of course. And so one of the things that we challenge people by is saying, come on into the Feline Leukemia Adoption Center and show me the cat who's suffering and you think needs to be euthanized. Yeah, I from an organizational perspective, I've got two sides to this question. So I've got one from the consumer's perspective and one from the organization. So if I'm an organization and I'm looking at creating a program to adopt out my feline leukemia positive cats. And, and you just mentioned we're giving you basically, I 
we call it sort of care for life and benefits. And in our experience with regards to the cost, the actual cost to the organization, the treasurers, they just freak out when you say, oh, we're going to do care for life. And they see the veterinary bills going through the roof. And especially if you're like a, uh, an organization that is very dependent on on private veterinarians or you only have a spay-neuter clinic in your area, you don't have a wellness clinic or anything like that. And so they get all nervous. Well, what are we committing to here? I mean, how much do we have to budget every year for this ex- incredible expense? Our experience, say, for example, out of 100 feline leukemia positive cats, maybe 25% of the people will actually take us up on veterinary care assistance. And also with the feline leukemia positive cats, and I hate to be blunt, but when their time comes, their time usually is comes quickly. It's not like they wither around for months and months on end. So that there are not a lot of veterinary costs involved with regards to having such a commitment. But I'm curious to hear what your experience is on that sort of administrative operational side. As an organization, do you worry about this being a great line item expense? Yeah, of course, our development people have the same concerns of all uh, of, of everyone who's responsible for the checkbook at every organization. So we've actually crunched the numbers. And for us, it costs us about $50 per cat to provide that lifelong guarantee of medical care. So it is not an incredible expense. So you, your, your development people can relax. It's, only, it's, not a, it's not a huge burden. And we share your experience that about 25% of adopters will ever bring back their leukemia cat for free services. So it's not all of them. And then we do share your experience as well that when, it's t- when a leukemia cat is truly at the end of her life, there are not heroic efforts being put forth um, you're, we're not going to put a leukemia cat through chemo or radiation or, you know, really advanced invasive medical care when they're at the end of their life. Because, again, to be blunt, there's just no point. They're not going to beat something as tremendous as lymphoma or FIP at the end of their life. So it's really not incredible expense at all. And it's one of the things I talk about with people who are curious about how to start their own leukemia program. Um, you really don't have to budget billions of dollars for this. The cats basically need a room of their own or fosters of their own and any competent veterinarian. And the other thing that we see is that these cats are not presenting for unusual symptoms where you would need a feline leukemia specialist to treat it. When we do see these cats back or when our in-house cats get sick, it's the same thing that you'd treat any other cat for. So URI, diarrhea, simple common cat illnesses that any veterinarian should be able to competently treat. So Monica, we're going to pause here for a quick minute um, and we're going to end part one of our Community Cats podcast speaking with Monica Frendon. And so tune in to our next episode and we are going to continue the conversation about feline leukemia positive cat adoptions. We're going to talk about neonatal kittens, ringworm, barn cat program, community cats, everything in the basket of what Austin Pets Alive is doing. So thank you so much. Are you starting to think about that special gift? Why not give the gift of a Community Cats podcast branded t-shirt, coffee mug, bag, or other item? This is the perfect way to spread the word about helping Community Cats. The proceeds from the sales will go to support the Community Cats podcast and the Community Cats grants program, which helps small groups grow their fundraising programs to be able to fund more spay-neuter programs for free-roaming cats. 
go to www.communitycatspodcast.com and click on our shop button in the menu bar today to get that perfect community cat gift right now. Thank you everybody for supporting the show.